Well, um, again, it's great to see you all. If you're new this morning, uh, I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege to be able to be here this morning and worship together. I hope you all are having a great holiday season. And I shouldn't say holiday. I say Christmas, right? That's what we say nowadays. You all with me? We need to make a little commitment together. When somebody says happy holidays to you, what do you say? Merry Christmas, right? (laughs) Merry Christmas. Just say it over and over and over. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Robbie just said that was awkward. Anyway, it might be a little bit awkward, but that's kind of your pastor. (laughs) So you say it the way you want to say it, but make sure you say Christmas, whatever you say. Um, Because you know what? This, this holiday wouldn't be around if it weren't for Jesus Christ. And so, I say Christmas, alright? I hope you do too. Well, um, I have prepared a message today. We have been in the study of uh, the Gospel of Luke. And um, with our, we had a little bit of a deviation last week with the wonderful Christmas celebration that we had. And thank you all who participated in that. It was so, so special. And it just moved me again to gratitude for Jesus' birth and his coming for, for us, for me. Um, but we're coming back to the Gospel of Luke today, and we are approaching the very end of the Gospel of Luke. Um, we are actually approaching chapter 23 today, and if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and, and make your way to Luke chapter 23. Um, it's kind of interesting. I, already, I knew this going into this, this series and this season, you know, I... I felt like we needed to continue on in the Gospel of Luke um, so that we could make our way toward the the conclusion of this Gospel and do it by the end of the year. And we have been doing that. We've just been moving steadily through the the Gospel of Luke. And one of the things I had felt led to do for this series was to kind of take a unique perspective um, on these last days of Jesus' life. You know, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition here. We're looking at the end of the Gospel of Luke, which details for us the very end of Christ's life here in a season where we're celebrating the very beginning of Christ's life. And so that's kind of different as it is. Not bad, just different. Um, Because, you know, I I say not bad. Why do I say not bad? Well, because Christ's coming was fulfilled in his death and in his resurrection, right? There would not, the gospel would not be good news if he had just come and lived like you and I live, sinful lives and not able to supply righteousness, not able to forgive sin, not able to rise again to triumph over death. If Christ hadn't done these things that we're studying here in the end of Luke, his birth would have no significance. Track it with me? So it is good that we're here, but I was trying to wrestle through what angles to take to weave in the Christmas story. And this week we were going to look at um, this chapter from the perspective of Mary. And some of you who prepare in advance for worship, you saw that on the blog that we were going to be doing that. But... um, after what has happened this week, I, I have been struggling with it ever since Friday. Um, I have been struggling and fighting and just going, I know, I feel like I need to preach this, that I'd always plan to preach. You know, we're planning worship four weeks in advance, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to just barrel through it and preach from the perspective of Mary and this beautiful Christmas story and all this. And then Friday hit, and some of you guys know what I'm talking about. If you, anybody look at the news this week. Um, you didn't even have to look at the news at my house. Friday morning started for me with sirens, the most sirens I have heard in a long, long time, roaring down Poplar Street in Midtown. 
by our house. I mean, it was so many sirens that I was, I mean, I was actually just almost shaken. Like, what in the world is happening? Immediately, I turned on the news, and you see um, word there of the two officers that were killed out in East, uh, well, shot, one of them killed out in East Memphis. And immediately, my heart just broken for this city, for our community, for our world. And then as you go through on throughout Friday, I had a string of things that I was involved with, had kind of disconnected from all things, you know, in the world as I was meeting. And um, then I was talking to Robbie on the phone and he said, have you seen the TV? And I said, no. And he said, dude, we just got to pray. He said, we've got to pray now. And I said, what's going on? And um, I got to a place where I could check the news and then saw what many of you saw um, unfold and on Friday and then the days uh, passed about what's happened there in Connecticut. And um, I, I have just been broken. Have y'all? Um, I mean, I have been broken. This has hit me, uh, you know, I feel that our nation has been on a, on a, a, a slippery slope in the last years, even in my lifetime. Um, and we have been seeing an escalation of, of hate and of violence and of godlessness. Um, Friday hit me in a, in, a, in a way that tragedy has not hit me since 9-11, I don't think. Um, where I just, I was just stunned. I didn't know what to do other than just cry. And I remember Friday afternoon, Michelle's getting home and we just sat together. And if you know us well, you know that crying is not new in our house. We cry a lot. Um, we're just emotional people, I guess. It's okay. We have sensitive hearts, right, babe? <laughs> That's what it means when you cry. Man, it's okay to cry. It just means you have a tender heart. Jesus cried. I'm just saying. Just saying. But we sat in, we sat in our living room. We just cried. And um, I remember um, they were interviewing this little kid. And I'm, I'm going to get emotional again. I'm going to try not to. But And just his account of... What happened when this guy came into his classroom and with all this ammunition and all these guns and just shooting his teacher right there in front of him and massacring 26 and 7-year-old kids who are so innocent and so precious and just their whole lives, as the president so beautifully said that afternoon, their whole lives before them, their marriages, their careers, their whole lives before them and their lives just taken just not just taken, massacred. Um, multiple gunshot wounds to every single one. Um, and I just cried. This is not the way God created the world. And um, I was heartbroken. I didn't know what to do. And uh, you start listening to the families. Yesterday, I was listening to the dad of one of the little girls, and he was talking about his precious little girl. And um, he said, we are so devastated that someone so beautiful and perfect is no longer going to be in our lives, and for no reason. He said, we only pray that we can find understanding in the days and weeks to come, and one day find peace. The families of moms and dads who raised these kids, the love of their lives, the ones they probably had prayed for for so long, and had been pregnant with for nine months and had raised and invested their lives in and just dropped them off at school and they're gone, brutally massacred, gone. 
for the teachers and the faculty, the whole community, and for the nation, for the world. I mean, this is a huge, huge thing. And um, broken. What more can we be? And then questions start. Y'all, y'all with me? Y'all asked questions this week? I mean, you start asking why. Why does this happen? Why, why, why? How? What do we do? Um, what does this mean? And you get frustrated and at times bitter and angry. And then you go home at night. You love, you hug your, for me, my wife and dog, tighter. <laughs> I don't really hug my dog tighter. But hugging my wife tighter and um, praying for these families and for this community and for our nation. And, um, there, there, I am not here this morning to give you answers for a tragedy like this. Um, there, are, there are few answers that I can give to explain this. Um, and I will not attempt to offer such a simple explanation for such a devastating sin. I will not. And let me tell you that this was sin. This was the free choice of someone who was acting in sin under the power of the enemy who hates God. I cannot give you a simple answer this morning. But what I felt impressed on my heart, you know, I've been preparing this message today from Luke chapter 23. And I thought, you know what, um, Lord, what answer do we need as a church? What answer do, do you need? What answer do I give my people today? Um, and the answer that I felt like kept coming over and over, and this is why I've changed the whole direction of the message today, um, the answer for us is to look at Jesus. I want to point your attention this morning. God wants to point your attention this morning to Jesus. And um, specifically your attention to Luke chapter 23 this morning. He wants to point your attention to Jesus because when we look at Jesus... And look at the fact that he came, and look at the fact that he died, and look at the fact that he rose again for you and for me. One thing we can know about this tragedy, it was not because God doesn't love the world. One thing we can know in uncertainties is that God's love is certain. You track it with me? This did not happen because God does not love the world. No, 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 no. I want us this morning to focus our attention on the Lord Jesus. Because when we look at the Lord Jesus and what He has done, I think you're going to see this morning a parallel story to what happened Friday. A story that's rooted in real history that gives shape and meaning and hope to what we experienced as a nation and as a world on Friday. The story of Christ's suffering, His willing suffering for the world because He loves the world and because He wants redemption for the world and wants redemption for you and for me and for every person that lives in this world. So this morning, I point our attention uh, to Luke chapter 23. And... Um,
Jesus, um, I was sitting there. I think one of the things that made Friday so horrible was these children seemed so innocent. You know what I'm saying? Um, and the shock of a massacre of innocence um, led me to brokenness. And what we see in Luke chapter 23 is that Jesus, who was the truly the only innocent one that has ever lived on this earth, born of a virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit of God, came in complete innocence, in complete perfection. In Luke chapter 23 is brutally massacred. And I hope this morning that the weight of what Jesus endures hits you as strong as the weight of what the news of those kids endured on Friday. This is God. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is on the, as of the only Son begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God. He is perfect. He has done nothing wrong. He has deserved no, no brutality. In fact, all He deserves is righteousness and praise and respect. Jesus is truly the innocent one. And in Luke chapter 23, we are going to read an account that Jesus is brutally massacred. More brutally than those children Friday. But the difference with Jesus is that no one took Jesus' life from him. Jesus said that he laid it down on his own accord. This is the love of God. Amen? That Jesus endured such suffering for you and for me. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 23. I'm just going to read and we'll come to a place and stop. And we'll talk about it and talk about what this means for us. Starting in verse 1. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him, being Jesus, before Pilate. And we saw before, the last time we talked on in Luke, Jesus is being escorted out of that, that trial where Peter encountered him and denied him. Jesus is being escorted now into Pilate's place. And they began to accuse him saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priest and to the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. See, Pilate's trying to dump him off onto somebody else. If he's Galilean, that means he can go see Herod. Pilate doesn't want to make the decision here. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for, for he had long to desire to see him, because he had heard about him. And he was hoping by 
some sign done, hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned them at some length, but, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes, they stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this they had been an enemy with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. And he said to them, You brought me this man who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find any guilt in this man of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together. Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time they said, he said to them, What evil? Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and wounds that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is the skull, Golgotha, as many of us know, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, 
Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving a due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all of his acquaintances, and all the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Jesus was arrested. Not only was he arrested, but he was mocked. He was mocked all night long. He was spit upon. He was beat up. A gang of men came and beat him. And just beat him and beat him for no reason. He was mocked. He was dressed up. Clearly mocking him. Crucifixion in the Roman world was the most horrific way to die. And to this date, it still is perhaps the most horrific execution that could ever be imagined. It began with scourging. Where they took, a, they, they took the criminal, the one who had been charged with crime. In this case, Jesus, who is purely innocent, who is God. In the flesh. They took him and they tied his hands either behind his back or up on a pole right behind him. So that it would give most exposure to all of his arms, the underside of his arms, his back, his buttocks. They would strip him naked. 
And they would stand there, unable to move, their whole body, the, the maximum part of their body exposed. Soldiers would take a piece of wood, a, a flagrum. It was a piece of wood with lots of leather straps that went out from it. That were attached at one end and unattached at the other. They went out from it. At the end of each leather strap was tied a stone or a piece of metal. And attached to that was a hook. The criminal would stand there unable to move while the soldiers, one after another, would come by with a flagrum and just beat them nearly to death. You can imagine, it's like almost like tenderizing meat. Every part of their body would be whipped, would be scourged, would be beaten down to a pulp. The hooks, most of them, they would hit them, allow the hooks to penetrate, and then pull back out so it rips the flesh apart. Many accounts of ribs and organs coming out of their body during this process. This would continue for a long time, sometimes hours, until they almost could not move. This is what Jesus was going through. After they finished this, you can imagine how you would feel, almost unable to move, feeling like you are near death, and in fact you were, but then given a hundred pound crossbeam and told to carry it up the hill to your execution site. Strapped on your back, your organs perhaps hanging out, your flesh ripped to pieces, blood, urine, sweat all over you. Your strength totally gone. And then carrying your own crossbeam to your own execution site. There's no wonder why Jesus collapsed. Collapsed there. And why Simon the Cyrene ended up having to come in and carry the cross of Jesus for him to the place where he died. It was almost unendurable. They get to the execution site. They lay Jesus down with the other criminals. They put him with his arms stretched out across that crossbeam. And now you have three to six inch, like looks like railroad spikes, that get nailed right here in between the wrist through the most, one of the most sensitive nerves in the body, the median. On both wrists, nailed to the crossbeam, A six to eight inch spike nailed through both feet to the support beam. And then, in excruciating pain, can you imagine? I cannot even imagine. That cross is raised up and dropped. Feel like a hundred pounds of pressure on you. Dropped down into the ground where your body would literally just sink and your bones would break and your ribs would collapse and your your lungs struggling to breathe. That's how most of them died. This is what Jesus went through. Not because He was guilty, but because you are. Not because He deserved it, but because you do and I do. This is truly the love of God. That one so innocent, one so undeserving, one so pure would be massacred for one like you and me. The real pain of the cross didn't just come in the physical suffering, although that was surely pain to Jesus. The real pain of the cross came in the fact that in that moment, 
when you see Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus, something spiritual is taking place. In that moment, Jesus is atoning for the sins of the entire world. In that moment, Jesus is taking into His body your sins and mine. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might, through Him, gain the righteousness of God. For us to get His righteousness... He also had to remove our sin. And it's not just a nod and say, okay, the sin is gone. No, He had to take it on. Every lustful thought that you have had, every bit of anger that you have experienced, every desire of covetousness that you have had, every impure thought, every impure motive, every time that you lie, every time that you cheat, every time that you don't worship God as you should, that you put other things before Him, every single sin, one for one for one for one. It's not just sin as an aggregate, it's sin every single one of your sins and of my sins and of the sins of the whole world was put onto Jesus in that moment. And when He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because God actually was separated from Jesus at that moment because of the sin that was on Him. The sin of the whole world was on Him. In that moment, He is atoning for your sin and for mine. And that's why in those last breaths, when He cries out, It is finished he has paid in full the debt that we owe God because of our shortcomings to him and he says father into your hands I commit my spirit it's the child it's the bedtime prayer that most Jewish children pray before they go to sleep at night father into your hands I commit my spirit. And the scripture says that he breathed his last. It was done. It was done. The necessary act for you and I to be forgiven, for you and I to have a relationship with God again, for the world to be renewed, for the world to be restored, for hope to enter into our life again, for joy to be possible, for peace to be real. The one thing that was necessary was done. It was paid in full. He says, what? It is finished. That's news, amen? It's done. There is nothing left to be paid for sin. There's nothing more that you can do. All that's left is for you to put your trust in Jesus. For you to put your hope in Jesus. For you to put your confidence in Jesus. He's the only sin bearer in the world. He was cursed so that you and I wouldn't have to be. Jesus took on the sin of you and of me and all of the world. He was killed in His innocence. But let me tell you this. 
unlike those children who died Friday for no reason, Jesus died for a reason. At the scene of his crucifixion, who do we find there? Remember it says, who are there? The women. Guess who was among the women? In John chapter 20, I believe it is, we read that Mary, his own mother, the mother that we think about at Christmas time, the one who was chosen to bear Jesus, God's son, Mary, was there at his crucifixion. I would imagine that a lot of the parents who were there Friday mourning the loss of their children would have loved to have been there to stop the massacre of their children. Mary was actually there. She could have, in a few words, probably stopped the execution of her son by denying him, by saying that he was just crazy, by, by trying to get him out of that. But you know what? She couldn't. Because Mary knew that Jesus came to die. Mary was a believer in Jesus. Mary knew that Jesus was the real deal. Mary knew that if she was going to be forgiven, her son had to lay down his life for sinners like her and like me and like you. Mary stood there watching her son, God's son. This is my son who am I well pleased watching her son, God's son, and watching her Savior do the one thing that was necessary to be done. To give the love of God. To show the love of God. To pour out forgiveness and hope forever. Can you imagine the pain that she endured? Similar to the pain that those parents endured Friday. But Jesus did not die for no reason. He died for a reason. And I need you to understand this. That you killed Jesus. Yeah, you weren't there. But your sin, your own apathy toward God, your own inaction, your own disobedience, you killed Jesus. It was your sin that put him there. Jesus didn't have to die. At any moment, he could have called legions of angels to come and get him off of that cross. You know that? But Isaiah 53 says, Like a lamb before shares is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And the reason is, if he had not died, you would have no relationship with God. Your sin would not be forgiven, and you would be separated from God now and forever. That's why Jesus had to die. He could have chosen not to die, but He did need to die if you and I were to be saved. Amen? That's why Jesus died. He didn't die for no reason. They didn't take His life. He laid it down for you. He laid it down for me. I want to read you a couple of Scripture verses. If you'll turn your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2, I want you to see why Jesus died so that there will be hope and joy in your heart. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body. On the tree. 
That we, why did he do this? Why did he bear your sins in his body? Why did he take the condemnation of God? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Flip over to chapter 3, verse 18. Why did he do this? For Christ also suffered once for sins. Why? The righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 15, circle all these in your Bible. You need to know why Jesus came, why He endured the cross for you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners. Of whom I am the foremost. Acts chapter 5, verse 30. The whole litany of Scripture speaks to this. Acts chapter 5, verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. Why? Whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader And Savior, why? To give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Why did Jesus do what He did on the cross? Why? He did it. Let me tell you, friends. He did not deserve to die. You did. He did not deserve to be punished. You did. The reason that He died, the reason He was punished, the reason He took suffering, and the reason He was separated from God. Why? For you. Because He loves you. And if you were to have a relationship with God, does anybody in the room enjoy a relationship with God? Anybody want God more? Anybody want to know God? If you were to have a relationship with God, your sins had to be paid for. Righteousness had to be supplied. He did it for you. For God so loved. It's because God loves you, the world. For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave. Christmas is about giving. Jesus came. He gave His only Son, His one and only Son. Whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When I think about those kids on Friday, I don't understand it. I can't explain it. But I do know this, that God loved them. That Jesus died so that today they might be with their Father in heaven. Amen? If Christ hadn't died, those kids wouldn't be with God. Christ did die. And I believe that children 
go to heaven when they die. And I can explain that to you later if you want to talk about it. Those kids are with God today. You want to know why? Because they weren't the only ones who have been massacred in history. They're not, they're not the only ones. The Son of God, God Himself in the flesh, was massacred. It was brutal. They took His life, not because He deserved it, but because you and I did. He laid it down on His own accord. And I can tell you, in the face of all kinds of life's uncertainty, in the face of horrific tragedy like that, that God still loves. Amen? God still loves. God is a loving God. He's a compassionate God. He's a forgiving God. He's an able God. He's a healing God. He's a restoring God. He's a peace-giving God and a hope-filled God. God still exists. When life is uncertain, God is certain. And He loves And you say, how do we know? Romans chapter 8 says, in this we know the love of God. In this we know the love of God, that Christ died for sinners. He loves. And not only is it possible for them, those kids, to be in heaven, but it's possible for you to be in heaven one day. There's hope available to you because of what Jesus has done for you. He's taken what you deserved. But let me tell you, it is only available to those who unite with Him by faith. It is by faith, it is by faith that we take hold of the promises of God. It is by faith. Listen, every person in this world has been given the freedom to choose as you will. Just like that crazy guy Friday was given the freedom to go and murder innocent children. You are given the freedom to do whatever you please. You can choose God or you can choose against God. The choice is yours. God's a gentleman and He's not going to impose on your will. Let me tell you this. Those who embrace the promise of God for salvation are those who choose to put their faith and their allegiance and their hope in Jesus Christ. And I pray today that you have chosen, that you have chosen to unite with Jesus It is only through Jesus that your sins can be taken away and that you can be brought back to God. Timothy says that there is one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus Christ. If there was another way, do you think he would have come? No, there is no other way, and so he came. He lived perfectly, he died as a substitute, and he rose again, triumphing over death. So that you can have a relationship with God. Isn't that good news? And let me tell you this too. On the hardest of days and the darkest of nights. When you feel like your world is crumbling. Some of you in this room today. Will have an experience like those parents experienced Friday. And I don't know who you are and it could be me. But on the day that you get news that your world is falling apart. Let me tell you this. That you can run to God. He understands. I've been pr- I will continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Connecticut that they might share the message of Jesus with those who have lost everything. Because God understands when you lose everything. Because He lost everything when He gave His Son. And He did it by His own choice and love. On the darkest of nights and the hardest of days, you can know and embrace God. He can know that He understands and empathizes with you and that He offers help and hope in your time of need. Isn't that good news? 
When you fall down in tears one day because of tragedy around you, you'll consider it good news that you can know that God loves you. Let me tell you what else we have to be doing, and this is in closing. The time has come for our country to return to God. And for our community to return to God. I'm telling you, we are no better than Nineveh. In the Old Testament that you read about, remember that Jonah went to? If we do not repent and get ourselves right with God again, our country will continue to slip into moral decay. And some of you, this is not a political statement. I am talking about the Word of God right here that says that when you walk away from God, you can expect to get results that are not aligned with the blessing of God. We will get the results of sin, and that is the results of curse and condemnation. Our country right now is so far from God. We are so far from God. I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here at church. But let me tell you this. All, all kinds of stuff will come out about this boy, right? This 20-year-old boy. And this guy last week in Oregon. And the guy months before that in Aurora. And it'll just keep going. All this stuff will come out. Oh, it must be blamed on this. Or it must, it must have been his upbringing. Or it must have been his mental illness. Or it must have been this. Or it must have been that. And I'm not saying that some of those aren't factors. What I am saying is that boy needed to know the Lord. There was bitterness and anger and trouble in his life. And he needed to know that God loved him. And that God cared about him. And that God could save him. And that God could forgive him. And that God could redeem him. How was he going to know about that? Well, the way God's appointed for him to know about that is through people like you who know God and who go and say, I've got news for you. Christ has died for sinners. He's died for sinners. He can forgive you. He loves you. He rose again to give you power over sin and death. And I'm telling you, if this doesn't shake you, then there might be a problem with you in terms of your witnessing to people around you. If Memphis is going to change, it's not going to happen because of the mayor or more money and all this stuff. It's going to happen because the church of God rises up to say, we're reclaiming our city and we're going to be bold about our witness to people who need to know the Lord. Some of us in this room have not shared the message of Jesus in months, if not years, or maybe never. And it's okay if you haven't. I'm just saying, will you please start today? Will you please start today? Will you repent of any apathy of saying, you know what, I've got the message of Jesus, but I'm just going to sit on it while my culture goes to hell, while our world continues to collide into darkness? I'm just going to sit on it. We're just going to keep doing the church thing. No, we can't keep doing the church thing. Our community needs the Lord. Our country needs the Lord. We, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that we are ambassadors for Christ. We've been entrusted the message of reconciliation with God. What are you doing as an ambassador of the Lord? If you went to another country as a U.S. ambassador and just sat doing nothing, you wouldn't be doing your job. And if you have been appointed as God's ambassador, and if you're just sitting and doing nothing, you're not doing your job. We need to return to the Lord. Amen? We need to be broken over our sin, our apathy, over our country's sin and our country's decay. And we need to be willing to share this message of Jesus, the one who 
was purely innocent, who chose to take on sin for you and for me. And I'm excited for the day that he comes back. (laughs) Amen? You know, Advent, we celebrate his first coming, but it's also anticipation of his second coming. There's going to be a day where he restores all things to the way it should be. We live in the tension right now between brokenness and hope. (laughs) But keep your eyes on hope. Amen? Keep your eyes on the hope that he has come and he is coming again. We're going to move into a time of response. This is a heavy day, I know. But it's a day that we celebrate the love of Jesus.